1: For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning.
2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined, as always, my co-host, Nick Filato. Tonight, we're here to break down another mailbag of questions from our Warder listening listeners. Yeah, that's right. You guys are the best. You guys send in the questions. We got a ton of them. We couldn't answer it all on one show, so we decided to break it up. And tonight, we'll get to the second part of the mailbag. A lot of questions in the Giants' future. We understand the Giants are in a state of flux right now. That's the state of the franchise, unfortunately. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Man, it really wasn't. They've had a whole lot of early round draft picks and a lot of capital to spend in free agency. But, you know, this is where we are. And so it's time to move forward and it's time to look to the future. So we'll start to dive into those in a minute. But before
1: we do that, Nick, how you doing, man? How's life back in New Jersey? It's cold, man. What the heck? I can't believe I grew up <laughs> here and lived here for the majority of my life. It's probably like 80 degrees in Arizona right now. But you know what? I mean, my family's here. Friends are here. I still got to see you, man. The food is so much better here. It's, it's not even comparable whatsoever so uh, i am happy to be back in new jersey
2: yeah we'll definitely have to meet up at some point uh when our schedules uh lessen or i guess get easier i have a pretty busy weekend coming up i have a grudge match tennis doubles me and my dad versus my best friend shout out gary levine and his pops we played last or two fridays ago and they beat us in two sets It was not pretty. Me and my dad were not happy about it. This has got to be like this doubles match, which is me and my dad and uh, my friend Gary and his dad has to be the four it, just a collection of the four most competitive human beings you'll ever see in any instance of anything. Like this is like life or death for us. We after the match we talked about each of our. I'm sure Gary did this with his dad. We had a recap of the match for about an hour. Me and my dad talked about things we could have done better before the match. We talked about it. We've been talking all week about things that we can do in this match to try to beat them. We we may be switching sides. There's a whole thing that goes into this, but and I say this to you, Nick, because I know you're actually Actually, like I met you like a couple years ago at this point, and you're actually one of the most competitive people I've ever met in my life. And (laughs) I never thought that anyone could top just my own family from a competitive standpoint. Like me and my brother, my dad bred us so competitive that me and my brother would just compete against in everything as kids. It led to several crying matches, several shouting matches physical altercations between me and my brother, um, you know, when things didn't go one of our ways and just, then I met you and it's like, we competed in a lot of different things, video games, whatever maybe board games. And you're the same as me, man. You have, you you have one goal when you play these games, it's to win. Like that's your goal. That's all you care about. Having fun is secondary. And I stand by, I think it's a good way to approach life. I know people hate, some people hate competitive people or people who are too competitive, uh, or not hate, but some people are bothered by it, I guess I would say, but you know what? I stand by it, and I, I'm sure you do as well.
1: I do, but it all depends on the context. I feel like it's unhealthy sometimes. To be honest, oh, it's and definitely that, unhealthy, especially now that like I'm in my early 30s, and yeah. like you know, you're just out there with like you know friends from high school playing games, and you're out there trying to be. And you know how I am too, bro. Like I'm not like one to ever talk any trash or or anything like that. I just kind of go out there, and I'm very like um, particular about like how I approach uh, competition, and I'm all about the goal. I'm all about the goal, which the goal is to win. So I'm not even one of those yeah. ones that really enjoy I, I don't even enjoy the process as much as I should. You I really, I really don't. don't. I honestly I hate losing more than I like winning.
2: Yes, you a hundred percent hate losing more than you like winning. I feel like I like winning as much as I hate losing. We are go about it differently. Like you said, I'm a big trash talker. You don't talk any crash. You also tend to complain a little bit more about bad luck. I feel like you think you you have you you are not a fan of bad breaks and variants. When it comes I hate to competition, variants. you hate variants. And so I'm, I'm okay with the variants. I've accepted the variants. That's something that bought, that's something I think that brings out even more of your competitive side. Like if you start to get some bad breaks in a game or some bad luck, it's, it's all, all, all hell loose after that point. Like Nick will just go off.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's, <laughs> Things you can't control that, that things I can't control. Right. Really me off about and that.
2: it's opposite for me, the
1: things I can, the things I can't control.
2: I'm okay with things I can control are the things that bring out the worst. I mean, that's why tennis is such a crazy sport because I played singles last week as well with Gary. This was even worse. I was up four one. Law went down five four, got back up six five, and then lost in a tiebreaker with a. Mm. It, I it's double faulted twelve times in a set. You can't win if you double fault twelve times in a set. So it's and that's all mental. Like that's the thing I was gonna say. Like I I get more mad at the things I can control than the things I can't control. Like a ball hits the net and drops over. That's bad luck. But if I double fault. I'm extremely pissed at myself. So, but but it then is it I, is. I,
1: I can at least blame myself. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like that's on me. Right. I'll own that. I'll own that loss. Whereas if I just lose to the chance of luck, it's like oh, that's just lucky <laughs> or unlucky. Yep.
2: I totally get it. We've had some unbelievably competitive uh, competitions. Me and Nick and. Some have led to some, you know, arguments, but most of them I think are my fault, actually, because I I probably take things a little too, a little even more seriously than Nick does. So, anyway, let's talk about the Giants. Let's talk about the mailbag. Let's dive into this bad boy. I was actually hoping, Nick, we would get more questions like the one we uh, closed out last podcast with some personal questions. I love those. Those are fun, the take questions, but they are all Giants based, and that's okay. This is a Giants podcast. We're going to get into it. Get one caveat again specific player evals from the draft coming draft class, like draft prospects. We're not going to go into detail on, we're not going to go into too depth, uh, too much depth with, because again, we haven't had the time to watch their film, to study them fully. And it's just not going to be a genuine answer if we give it. So that doesn't make it, it doesn't make any sense to bullshit you guys. That's not what we're here to do. So we'll start with John boy. John boy asks if Hutchinson and Thibodeau are gone by the time the Giants pick. And that is going to be to me in my mind, not an if, but a when, Unless the Giants luck box into the fourth pick of the Jets win two games and the Giants lose out from this point on, I don't think they have any chance at Hutchinson or Thibodeau. I'm not even sure they have a chance at four, but should they go two offensive linemen in the first round or take the highest grade in linemen, trade down with the other pick, and then hope to land Carliftis or Jackson at the edge?
1: Like Dan already brought up, we haven't necessarily done our extensive research on a lot of these guys, but I think those are the two areas that you want to address, right? The offensive line and then the edge position. I mean, I remain high on Aziz Oshilari as does basically anybody who watches Giants film, but you still want to kind of add another player like a Hutchinson or Thibodeau because they're just game-changing type of players to your roster and as for the offensive line I mean we've we've heard it for how many years now oh we're going to address the offensive line we're going to address it they addressed it they didn't address it well enough and then they completely ignored it now we see what's going on in 2021 so I'm going to look at one of those two picks and say let's hope we can get an offensive lineman and I say that with the understanding that this is a solid offensive line draft there's going to be a lot of prospects from everybody that I respect in the industry that's already done a little bit of research that should be available for the Giants pick and the out the top 10 so uh, I'm looking forward to possibly investing in the offensive line but I don't really have the names to to kind of throw out there because I haven't watched their film
2: yeah and I think that's fair and I agreed with that with everything Nick said and it's funny looking back I wonder if Nick we weren't exactly harsh enough on the Giants for how they approached the offensive line during the 2020 uh 2021 offseason like we did we came down on them we talked about it a lot but I don't think we realized at the time, or maybe we didn't just focus enough on it at the time, how bad things could be based on their approach. I mean, they didn't add a single body of worth in free agency. I know it was oh, a couple of these guys retired. Come on, give me a break. Joe Looney. No one wanted him. They scooped them up for nothing. The other guy, the same thing. Like these are guys, they scooped up for nothing. Like the guy from the Texans who was horrific last year. That's not a solution. And then nothing in the draft. And we just kind of said, okay, it's fine. Despite the fact that they literally cut their best offensive lineman from last season. And they lost Cam Fleming, who wasn't good, but Cam Fleming was somehow much better than what we're getting right now at right tackle from Solder and Pear. And just to add nothing there was crazy. So we understand the fervor for linemen. We agree with it. We want it. We've been preaching it for a while on this podcast. Me and Nick are both big believers in quarterback trench play quarterback, trench plate, just worry about those two things. And your roster is good. And now to me, I've also put mixed in secondary. I love building out a secondary. I'm a big fan of it. and a big believer in it, but again, you can't force picks. That's not the, that's not what the good teams do. The good teams don't go into draft and say, we're going to take offensive tackle one round one. We're going to take offensive guard round two. We're going to take defensive end round three. Cornerback round four. No, you can't do it like that. You have to take the best value available to you, especially because there's a lot of busts. Like the draft is full of busts. It's a total crapshoot. That's the whole reason why we preach: don't take a position, take the player. Because when you're taking a position, you're forcing a position. You're leading. You're giving yourself a better chance at a bust at finding one of these busts that you can't afford to find. The Giants just simply can't afford to find busts at this point of their roster building process. This GM has set them back to an incredible degree. This current GM. So the next GM is going to be working with. A lot less than he was, and even this this past one was. like Everybody talked about how bad things were after the Reese era. Things are worse after the Gettleman era, if we're really being honest about the situation, as far as the cap and as far as just having no offensive lineman whatsoever on this roster. And so we want them to find an offensive lineman, but we can't force it. So one thing I did like about what John Boy suggested, though, Nick, I'm going to be really open to a trade back in this draft again, the second trade back in two years. A lot of reasons why I like it, Nick, and I want to get your take on this before we move on to the next question. But one reason I like it most is that it gives them more options in the 2023 draft coming up after that at the quarterback position if Daniel Jones isn't the guy, if he does not prove to be the guy next season. What are your thoughts on that?
1: No, I think it's definitely an option, but it all depends on who's on the board. And as for the the whole Dave, get the roster's worse now. I think that's an argument, to be honest. I don't think that's a, a clear cut, sure thing. So the roster was really bad after 2017. And I don't want to kind of overlook that. I think there's definitely an argument to suggest that it could have been worse back then. And I, I just think that's something to bring up. There was another thing I wanted to address. I think the
2: roster was worse back then too. So I want to make that clear. I think he's got more talent than Reese had when Reese left it. But what I'm factoring in also here is the cap situation yeah, yeah. because when, when Dave Gettleman took over, he had a clean slate from a salary cap standpoint to build the roster out however he wanted and to put uh you know, big money into whoever he wanted, whoever he could find, that's not going to be the case for this next GM. He is no. stuck with Logan Ryan's contract. He's stuck with Sterling Shepard's contract, probably for another. He's stuck paying $25 million plus or more. It's going to be to Leonard Williams.
1: Some I don't people- know if he's stuck with Sterling Shepard.
2: Well, yeah, you can get you can cut him, in, but you're going to have some dead cap if you cut him again, like $5 million or so in dead cap. Like, so he's probably not stuck with that, but it's still a dead cap he has to take on the new GM if he wants to. It's not like it's a clean slate. Stuck with $25 million plus a Leonard Williams. Stuck with James Bradbury's contract. If you believe that's a negative, I don't know, but it is a lot of money to pay for someone who's not really great in man um, and can't really hang with some of the best receivers at this point, in my opinion, or at least hasn't this year. He's still a great cornerback. Like we've talked about great awareness, everything like that, but... Is he worth that much money? Does a new GM want to pay him that much money? Those are questions he's getting, you know, we're going to have to ask. But and overall, thing, he's added more talent. I would agree with that.
1: Yes. And another thing, I I think that we were really hard on the Giants during the offseason. We said, like, look, if they've suffered one injury, they're screwed. And they suffered that injury in week two about what was it, like six plays into the the offensive uh, game plan, essentially. It was on the second drive. Like, we were pretty darn hard on the Giants. So, I mean, I don't know. It, it, I guess maybe we could have been harder. But when you said that, I was like, I, I remember us being pretty, pretty hard on them.
2: We were hard on them. I just wonder if, like, even with all that, I kind of still felt like they could be good this year. But I guess, like, what I maybe more so than saying we weren't hard enough on them, I guess what I this really has taught me, this whole season has taught me is, Damn, man. Offensive line play is is like, a you know, besides quarterback play, which we don't have to get into right now because I think it makes the biggest difference. But mm-hmm. offensive line play is just so much like we talked about before the season. like Who's the worst player to lose? Blake Martinez, James Bradbury. Right. Like, who could they not afford to lose? Andrew Thomas. Really? The answer is Andrew Thomas. And like to some degree, like, like you just mentioned, Nick Gates, like Nick Gates was not a better player by any means or anywhere close to Bradbury or Martinez last season but his loss has made a massive ripple effect and has had a huge negative impact on this team it's crazy to say but it's like and even just like losing even like a simple downgrade from like Fleming to solder has been massive
1: yeah it's, it's crazy not very like- good.
2: <laughs> and I don't know what the solution really is. Like, yeah, they can try to dump these early picks into offensive linemen, but they don't always step up right away. You're not just like we've been spoiled by these last two classes with Slater, Thomas and Werfs, like all playing great right away. And I know Thomas it took a year, but even so, he's great right now. That doesn't always happen. Like, it's just, it's not a guarantee by any means with these early guys. Like, even look at just, like, what's going on with, like, Darisaw and Tevin Jenkins. I know they've been injured and stuff like that, but they're they're not the early hits that those teams expected them to be. And so, like, if the Giants draft two linemen in the first round, it's no guarantee they're going to be plus starters next season. They could even struggle next season, like, to, to a big degree, transitioning to the NFL.
1: Yeah, they absolutely could. That's why you don't draft position, like you said. Now, it seems like there may be several offensive linemen available, so the Giants will have their pick, and hopefully the new general manager and the scouting department do their due diligence, which I'm sure they will, and I mean, we want to see offensive linemen added, and that was our big, I think, gripe going into this season as well, It was when well, you brought in Rob Sale, right? So you're trusting, because we said coaching hubris, you're trusting Rob Sale to coach up these young players. Now, Shane Lemieux, it's unfortunate. He got hurt early in training camp and never really came back, tried to play, which was ridiculous. Uh, That was a ridiculous thought to think he could play through a partially torn patellar tendon. And then Matt Parrott is just atrocious. And the development didn't happen with those young players, which was our biggest concern. They, I mean, again, they should have definitely invested in the offensive line more. And that was a huge, huge just dereliction of duty on, on the general manager's part.
2: But I think for me, where I'm really leaning with this, I'm curious to get your take on this, Nick. I almost feel like they need to fix this offensive line as fast as possible, right? Like they need to have competent play at on the offensive line right now. They have four weak links weekly, and that's impossible. You want to get it down to zero weak links if possible. Uh, maybe one, you can probably do fine with one, but what I'm really thinking about, and I want to get your take on is, It's a, it's a tough sell for me to believe that they can fill out the line with like two rookies from the 2022 draft. I'm almost thinking like they need to get creative. They need to go outside the box. They need to pay a heavy premium to get more Zeitlers on their team. I know they just cut a Zeitler, but I want to, I almost want to go into this offseason. I don't know how they'll do it. Maybe it's via trading someone like Barkley, or maybe it's via switching some cap space, you know, cutting some of these veterans that we like and that are going to lead to dead cap to create some cap space to sign someone. I don't know. But I almost feel like this team needs at least one or two proven veterans to acquire this off season. I don't know how they're going to do it, but like me going into next season with Andrew Thomas and then just expecting two first round or two a first and a second round rookie to just immediately be good players, it's extremely risky.
1: Extremely, extremely risky, and it's it's improbable too, especially with the entire state of this offensive line and how we've seen a lack of development with the young players right. that are on this offensive line. So I would have to 100% agree with you. It's just yet another. I guess, um uh, something negative that we have to kind of view heading into the next season, just something else that we have to consider, which I don't think a lot of us were considering that the offensive line would get fixed anyways. And that's why I'm already looking at 2022 and sure. obviously so much still has to play out, but I'm looking at 2022, like, oh uh, man, this could be a another rough, you know, six win season. And again, a lot has to play out for that, but there's a lot to rebuild and a lot to fix.
2: Yeah. And that's kind of gets into the whole thing of like, why, well, we can talk about this in another time. I mean, there's going to be probably questions on it, but yeah, the offensive line to me, I I appreciate the question, John boy, because it's obviously the the number one concern for Nick, for me, for you, for most fans, we understand it. We hope there's a way around it. They've put themselves in a really tough position though, as far as the offensive line, it's truly amazing the position they're in right now. All right. Kurt asks, What are the progressive innovative franchises doing in terms of building an infrastructure to help make better decisions regarding roster building, coaching, player evaluation, and player development in order to produce sustainable success? How far behind are the Giants in these areas? Player maintenance, strength, conditioning, health, rehab could be added here as well, or could it all be lumped under player development?
1: I mean, there's a lot to kind of unpack with this question. I would say there's just a... There's a foundation set for every one of these organizations that are building the right way, and it usually equates to teams' ability to rush the passer and teams' ability to protect the passer. But the main ingredient to all of this is just getting the right quarterback in the building. We referenced (laughs) this on the mailbag one. If you get the right quarterback, and even if your offensive line isn't great, he can make it stink less. It's like a deodorant for your franchise, similar to winning. And I think that is kind of the number one I guess you could say priority to turning franchises around because look at the Chargers for a while, man. The Chargers had Phillip Rivers for a while. He's a good quarterback. They can never get over the hump, but they had to like go up against really good football teams. I mean, they had Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in, in his conference, but they were still a really good football team that you can look forward to every year being like, hey, we could possibly make a Super Bowl run. Well, now Phillip Rivers leaves. And what do they do that very next year? They get Justin Herbert. And Anthony Lynn gets fired. They bring in a new coach. And it's just like they're not missing a beat. And they're actually winning those close games that they were losing. So they found the right coach, somebody who's a little bit innovative on the defensive side of the football. And it's similar to what the Colts had, right? The Colts had Peyton Manning for so damn long. Peyton Manning gets injured. They have one terrible season. And then they end up with Andrew Luck. And they were making Super Bowl runs. Now, they were getting into the playoffs. They didn't make it to the Super Bowl. But they were good enough. And that was with a terrible roster put together by Ryan Grigson. I mean, the offensive line was horrendous. They were spending first round picks on Philip Dorsett. It was an atrocious, uh, I guess you could say process from a general managing standpoint, but yet they were still competitive because they had the guy in the building. They had Andrew Luck. I don't want to necessarily go down that path. I don't want to have a dysfunctional organization carried by a quarterback. So what I want is for the New York Giants, and Dan, I'm interested to get your take here, to invest in the trenches, to find those pass rushers, and to find those man coverage cornerbacks. And I I still, that's no knock on James Bradberry. I don't believe he's truly a number one, a man coverage cornerback, but he's still a one number one cornerback to me, in my opinion. So I'm looking to just beef up that offensive line. I'm looking for the continuity, I'm looking to stay damn healthy, to be honest. And I don't really have anything to weigh in with the health rehab side of this, because I'm not hundred percent certain exactly why some of these guys are getting injured. I'm not a doctor, but I'm looking for investments in the positions that will maximize your chances to win. And I think the number one is the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, listen, Kurt,
2: and this is this is an interesting question. I think a lot of times when we look at it, we're like, oh, this this franchise is doing things right, right? The player development, everything looks good. I actually feel like the Giants have a lot of that already in place. I know it sounds crazy given how bad they've been these last five years or 10 years, really, if you want to go all the way far back, but they really weren't actually for 10 because those Eli Manning years until, until the very end were at least seven to nine win seasons, which are competitive and fine, and everybody would say that's, you know, acceptable right i think they have good i've been inside the you know the building there i think they have a really good facility i think they have good good uh, people in place they have good they people want to play for the giants people want to be a part of the franchise but I agree with Nick. I don't really think any, I don't really think, I think things look a lot better when you have the quarterback in place. And then it's like, oh, this is a good place to devalue, to evaluate play um, develop players. This is, you know, uh, this place can have sustainable success. Oh, look at this. The, everything's going right from a player conditioning. Like things start to fall in place. Like there's more examples than even the one Nick just said. The Bengals, they were a helpless team until they got Joe Burrow. Now they're competing again, right? The Cardinals were looking at an awful season again if they had kept josh rosen who by the way i admit one of my worst evaluations ever total bust but let's say they had kept josh rosen and they had taken an offensive lineman instead of kyler murray at number one overall they would have been had had another four win season and probably got the number one pick again maybe a two win season and then they'd be back again and they would probably do it all, all and over again if they kept building out the offensive line instead they took kyler murray and now they're one of the best teams in football within two years murray burrow Herbert. These things happen fast when you find the quarterback. And I know, I get it. Jones hasn't had a good situation here. But can you really say Joe Burrow's situation is that much better in Cincinnati? I know he has better talent, I guess, at receiver, even though the Giants have added a lot at receiver for Jones. But that line just a year ago was talked about as the worst in the NFL. Just a year ago, Justin Herbert had the worst offensive line in the NFL. I know it's been better this year. It's improved. Okay. Kyler Murray, his offensive line when he got there wasn't very good, right? And so ultimately i do think kurt it does come down to just getting the quarterback right that's hard to do though it's not easy to do but i do agree with what Emery hunt says a colleague not a colleague of mine but he does do some spots for hq and a friend of mine good good nfl evaluator i like his stuff you can find him on twitter um football at, at football game plan i think it is Emery hunt kind of says one of the you know one of the key go-tos for fans is blame it on the offensive line right it's always the offensive line's fault as far as quarterback play goes but in his mind and I kind of tend to agree with him, a lot of the off, a lot of the things that fans tend to blame the offensive line for are actually on the quarterback. Um, and so ultimately, he plays a huge role, and I kind of just agree with you, Nick. It may sound like a cop-out, but to me, it's just all about quarterback.
1: I think you also got to bring in the right offensive coordinator to mesh with your quarterback. And now a lot of the elite quarterbacks can mesh really well with most offensive coordinators i'll say but if you find if you have someone like say daniel jones somebody who you're not really 100 sure with you have to find the right offensive coordinator who could maximize a player to make you competitive
2: yeah that's completely fair i
1: would agree and with the, that as well all righty dan sad giants fan asks how should the giants address the wide receiver position next year tony and galladay's health play a big factor Shepard and ross will be gone as well as slayton
2: That's a great question. The wide receiver position is going to be super interesting heading into this season. I will say this to start. I'm not so sure that Sterling Shepard will be gone. First of all, I think the Giants love having him from a culture standpoint, and that's big with the Joe Judge Giants. They believe strongly in culture and and keeping these locker room guys is you can even see, I mean, me and Nick talked about it uh, with Justin panic last week about like some fun things we see on the all 22 film. Well, one fun thing we see is every time the giants make a big play on offense, Sterling Shepard is right. Well, at least when he's been injured, he's right there with his teammates to celebrate. So I think that's a factor, but obviously part of that, even just saying it right now is that he's injured a lot and he is on the sideline a lot cheering his teammates on, but just looking at over-the-cap numbers right now after the Giants did make the decision this season to go all-in and make signings like Galladay, you know, Booker, and Rudolph, and, and Adoree Jackson, well, it cost them a little bit of their future because Sheriff Shepard, despite his age and despite his injury history, his cap hit was pushed back. And so if the Giants do release Sterling Shepard, they will save $4.5 million in cap space, but then they're also going to take a $7.99 million dead cap hit. And maybe if you had great young receivers coming up on this roster, I could understand the release because, you know, you just can fill it out with guys that are making 100K or or, I'm sorry, 500K or just under a million. But I'm not so sure the Giants have the depth and I'm not so sure they can find anything better for 4.5 million. So if you're not going to find anything better for 4.5 million, and that would be in the shape of maybe an offensive lineman. But are there really any offensive linemen that, that, are, that are quality that will sign for $4.5 Look at last year's offensive line frequency. Absolute disaster outside of the, the big names that sign for big money. And so I don't really know what any solution is, what you're going to get better for $4.5 on the market. And so I'm not even sure I'm for releasing someone like Shepard. But say they do, right? In your scenario, they release Shepard. They don't re-sign Ross in your scenario, correct? And they don't. And Slayton, according to you, will be gone. Obviously it's different with Slayton because uh, he only has a $965, or sorry, $1.02 million cap it. Um, they would be saving nothing cutting him. I don't think Slayton will be cut based on that. So I yeah. think they'll keep Slayton for sure. Just a cheap guy to have on your roster. Ross might resign cheap if they do cut Shepard. I'll say that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, look now as we break it down, Nick, it is a position that I guess is another need for this Giants franchise, right? Like, it, here's another one we have to add to the list.
1: I mean, I guess, but the Giants just spent a first round pick on yeah. Kadarius Tony and, and I, Galladay. Yeah, they just have to
2: make do. They have to find late yeah. guys and make do.
1: Yeah, that that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not like I, I'm worried about basically the entire roster, but I'm not overly worried about the wide receiver position when they just signed Kenny Galladay to a big deal and then they drafted Kadarius Tony in a draft where you could have upgraded many other positions. I don't want them allocating top priority the first, second round picks or any big money to any wide receiver, to be honest. And I'm sure you're probably on the same page with me there, Dan.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, in general, me and Nick are not big believers in the Jerry Reese style of building from the outside in. Um, and by the way, it's not all just Jerry Reese now. I mean, Dave Gettleman just spent a, a first round pick and a massive contract on wide receiver and push back. Shepard's cap it to really invest even more in receiver, but I'm with you. I think they, I like what they have now. They're going to have to make do. They're going to have to try to find later talent, which you can always do in the draft. Um, and they're going to have to kind of keep scooping up guys like Ross off the wire. Like Ross to me should be playing even more. I get he's hurt again, like, or he's been hurt in, in and out. So that's partially why he doesn't play that many snaps, but he's someone I'd even look to resign. I really like what I've seen from him. All right. Curmudgeon, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Okay. Curmudgeon asks, how is Ellerson Smith doing? And would you draft two offensive linemen with the first two round picks? I definitely go Linderbaum and the best offensive tackle prospect left.
1: Yeah. So." I I hate to keep repeating myself. So these draft questions, I don't even know if we should keep reading because we've kind of already addressed this several times. Look, we're going to look to go with the best players available. We would like to invest in the offensive line, but we're not going to pass up excellent value in another position to draft a lesser player. So that's where I'm at. Do you have anything to add there?
2: No, I'm all that all I'll add is that I probably should have done a better job of vetting these questions. Uh, so it, we'll just have to adjust on the fly and not read the prospect based draft questions. I still think it's good to answer any draft question that's more 30,000 foot view type thing, Absolutely. but I guess prospect wise, we can skip those.
1: Yes. And then as for Ellerson Smith, Ellerson Smith, look, he had a missed tackle according to Pro Football Focus last week. He's only played, I think, about 55 snaps this season, most of them are pass rushing and his missed tackle. It's misleading. So if you look at his tackle grade, it's terrible, but that's kind of a misleading the way PFF does their stats because it was a missed tackle, but it was a 13. It was against the chargers. They've lined in 13 personnel and they overloaded Ellison Smith's side, creating a D-gap, an E-gap, basically an F-gap to the outside. So the Giants had to put Aaron Robinson and Xavier McKinney over there to account for all those extra gaps. And on that play, the second tight end, Ellison Smith was directly aligned over him. He engages that second tight end and turns him inside on an outside run coming towards his direction, towards the strength. And Ellison Smith forced Joshua Kelly to bounce outside and around the play. And he dove at Joshua Kelly's feet and missed. That's a missed tackle but he absolutely blew up the play. It was an excellent play from Ellerson Smith. And it was a gain of no yards because Tay Crowder and Xavier McKinney or Aaron Robinson just ended up rallying and tackling. But that's a play that's used negatively according to the way pro football focus uh, does its grades against Ellerson Smith. But it was really just a great play by him. Now I've watched a lot of Ellerson Smith. I'm coming out with a piece on Ellerson Smith for Big Blue View. So definitely check that out. It's a film piece. It'll, It'll be up by the time you guys are listening to this. He, I feel like is showing the quickness and the burst, and all of the athletic, uh, all the athletic ability that we were intrigued about him. But he's still lacking that strength. He's still lacking that power. There are times where he's going to bull rush and long arm moves against some of these offensive linemen like Michael Schofield. If they're no one who's you know all that great, and he's not getting a lot of, of push up front. But I think the way Patrick Ram is using him, he's using his athletic ability and his quickness to set up blitzes and to set up stunts and pressures is a wise way to utilize him right now and try to get a free rush for him as well as a penetrator, which is what he's been doing. He's aligning a three technique, four eye slanting inside to open up the five-man pressure package from the Apex Defender, which Patrick Graham loves to use. They did that and forced an incompletion against Justin Herbert where you he had Aziz Ojolari release up the field, to take the tackle away. And then you have Ellison Smith go inside hard to take the guard away wide open B gap where Aaron Robinson ran right in on Justin Herbert and forced an incompletion. That happened just last game. So I feel like his role is going to continue to expand since the Giants suck. We're probably going to see him a little bit more, hopefully more as a pass rusher, as he slowly gets ingratiated to be a run defender. I don't think he's quite there yet as a run defender, but I do believe that there are building blocks there. I hope he can get better against the run. I'm not hundred percent sold on that yet. We have to see it. But I think it's uh, it's solid so far is what I'll say for Ellison Smith overall.
2: Yeah, I think from my standpoint, he looks the part certainly out there. I like how they're going to start to work him in more for some of those inside pass rushes. I think, again, as Nick said, he'll probably start off as more of a situational pass rusher and we'll see, start to see more of that down the stretch. But I think he'll come on quick. I really do. I have, high, I still have high expectations for Ellison Smith based on what I've seen so far, and I think Nick did a great job breaking down some of the impact he's made already, just in a limited role. So definitely a good player to keep an eye on. Um, and then as far as the offense stuff, the the draft stuff, we already answered. All right, Melly D asks, will the Giants finally go outside the organization to hire a competent general manager? He says, Ed Dodds, please. And do you think Joe Judge will be retained as head coach?
1: Yes, I I do believe. Joe Judge is more than likely going to be retained as the head coach. And Ed Dodds is a name that always comes up all the time. He's the Colts vice president of player personnel. He was one of the finalists for the Lions job last year. And it's somebody that I feel like every year his name gets thrown out there and he always ends up kind of staying where he's with Chris Ballard. So I think that's a name to monitor, but there's not a lot I can take away from that as we went over in the first mailbag or maybe it was two podcasts ago. Yeah, and I'll say
2: this, one, I do think the Giants will retain Joe Judge. Um, Again, I don't think Mara wants to fire a coach again for the third time in six years. I also think he likes Joe Judge a lot. Joe Judge sold him early when he first met with him um, and has sold him since. Again, bar has been low for John Mara as far as coaches go. He just wants them to not lose the locker room, which Joe Judge hasn't done yet. Um, And so I guess he thinks, you know, the judge can develop and hopefully he can. As far as hiring the GM outside the organization, I actually think the Giants finally do. I think the Giants are a team, especially with John Mara, that (laughs) is well aware of the fan pressure and the fanfare and the fanfare and a lot of the times caves into it. I think that was the case with signing Kenny Galladay. I think that was the case with Mara even saying things like, you know, like, because he loves Gettleman. I think if it was up to him, he just let this thing ride out for another decade. Plus, honestly, I really feel like he's like, ah, we'll get it right eventually with Gettleman. He's a good guy. He knows what he's doing, and, and he's got the right head on, and he's proven it before. But I think he even said last offseason, like, okay, we get it. Like, if, he, if they have another losing season, like, it's probably going to be it for Gettleman. So I think he will, and I think he's heard all the talk about how it's time to look outside the organization for the next GM. It's time to get an outside voice in this building. We can't just do more of the same. And so I think they finally do do that. Now, my worry is that it'll be someone connected to Judge who is kind of like a judge-based hire who Judge has a relationship with. I hope it's just somebody completely, uh, not, not to say I'm connected, I don't care if it is someone connected, but just someone who's the best candidate regardless of his tie to Joe Judge. Like, let him get in here. Give Joe Judge a shot to prove himself to the new GM. If Joe Judge doesn't, he fires him. they fire him and he gets to pick his own head coach.
1: Absolutely, I agree. And then we have AVS. Would you go with quarterback with any of the other picks? I mean, we've kind of went over this, right, Dan?
2: sort of but i'll say this i i won't talk about the individual prospects i'll just talk about this from a thirty thousand foot view which i think still has value and you could add something to that if you want or we can move on nick but my opinion is that quarterback is by far and away the position that matters most and so i'm willing to take a quarterback a lot earlier on in the process of after even after having drafted a young quarterback than others will and i think some teams have really appreciated the value of that. The like Arizona Cardinals are a great example. They could have stuck with Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen's a quarterback they obviously believed in when they drafted him. They traded to get him. They got him and within 1 year they knew that he wasn't going to be the guy. Now I think part of why Rosen has failed is because he's not dedicated to his craft and those were some of the concerns coming out. You know, maybe I overlooked I'll admit be the first to admit I overlooked those concerns uh for sure because the mental processing is certainly not there for Rosen. He's one of the slowest mental processors I've watched since And I can't believe it because it didn't seem like it was going to be the case. He's a smart kid. Again, smart kid doesn't matter. You got to be, you got to make this your life, like quarterback to be the best, to even be not even the best, to be like a good quarterback, a serviceable quarterback. You still have to dedicate your life to this, be the first in the building, last one out, grinding film all the time and smart enough to understand what you're looking at. And they knew. After a year with him, that he was going to be the guy. And so they didn't say, oh, it's year one. It's the rookie contract. Let's ride it out. He can get better. We didn't give him a good offensive line. The receivers were injured, yada, yada, yada. They said, no, we have a chance to get a difference making quarterback. So we're not going to make the excuses for the current one we have, and we're going to take him. And they did with Kyler Murray, and it's completely changed the trajectory of their franchise. So for me, I'm always interested in quarterback until the Giants land a difference making quarterback who can consistently win them games. Now, that doesn't mean. I'm going to take swings on everyone. I wouldn't have taken the swing at six on Daniel Jones. Both me and Nick are on record saying we had a mid second ride, a mid second round grade on him. I think Nick had something similar. If you're forcing a quarterback, that's not the right way to do it. But if there's a quarterback with potential elite upside as a prospect, I'm okay. Taking them with any of the picks. Now, I don't know if anyone in this class will have that. The only one who's intrigued me so far, the two of them intrigued me so far, are Malik and Carson strong, but I haven't watched much of them. Um, and so. Again, it really just comes down to the prospect.
1: Absolutely. Dan, Glock Roach asks, who in the offensive line group, healthy and injured, would you want to start as next year? Well,
2: first of all, did you just, just, how did you just say the word starters? Oh, starters? Yeah, what was that?
1: I, I don't know. It's me talking. <laughs> it's like, Talk a, it's like
2: I feel like you're back in Jersey, and you're starting to already pick back up the accent, some kind of like Italian accent.
1: I, it's never really left me, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> There are there are times where I get lazy with my words and and my uh my words just uh what was the one you always give me crap for pitches?
2: Oh yeah, you call pictures, which is clearly a word that has a C in it. Pitchers, like a like a pitcher, like a how baseball say, pitcher.
1: Uh, how do you say? I'm gonna say it like I think you're supposed to. Orange.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. This is West Orange. I'm an orange kind of yeah, guy.
1: Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a huge orange. Like I'm. I'm a- also
2: a Florida. There's no Florida for me. I'm a Florida.
1: Florida. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can understand that one as well.
2: All right, good. All right, let's move on to the question here. Who in the line group, healthy and injured, would you want as starters next year? Glock Roach, can I answer this differently? Because I can't say I want any of these guys besides Andrew Thomas as a starter next year. And, you know, if somehow Nick Gates could get back to full health, I'll throw him in there. Those are the only two I would want as starters in an ideal world. But this ain't an ideal world. This is a world where you can't find off you're lucky to find one good offensive lineman in an off season. That's great. That's a luck box hit. If you hit one, the giants seem to find a lot. So I'll say Bredesen Lemieux. I'll throw that in there. I'll be fine with that. I don't want them as starters, but I don't see any way, any way out of finding two guards in an off season. I want something new at right guard. I want something new at right tackle. So I'll just go with uh, Thomas. Thomas it's tough to say Gates because I just don't think he's going to be healthy. So I just don't know if I can even say him. So I guess I'll just say Thomas and some combo of Bredesen-Lemieux.
1: Yes, and that's the same exact thing I was going to say, to to be honest, which uh, you know isn't um, inspiring, but hopefully we'll see what they do in the offseason and they can add some pieces that will force players like Lemieux and Bredesen maybe back to a backup role. But I'm not too optimistic about replacing an entire offensive line in this season. What's going on everyone? Football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Dan, Joe Mooney asks: We know Dave is a bad GM, but why is he too old school? Anti analytics? Game is passing by? Overrated scout? What say you?
2: Yeah, I mean, we could do an entire podcast on this if we wanted to. In my mind, I have I could go for hours on this is how bad he's been there's hours worth of bad moves from this GM he's he's a disgrace to the franchise completely if I'm going to be honest with with the job he's done at least I mean I'm not talking about him personally at all I don't know him at, at all I actually passed him once and when I was covering the Giants a couple years ago for CBS and it was Daniel Jones first home start against Washington I passed him in the hallways at halftime coming out of the bathroom I was walking into the bathroom it was one of those moments where I wasn't expecting to see him. So I didn't have anything to say. I wouldn't have been one of those guys, by the way, who's like, you suck. I probably would just send, Hey, maybe even like in a cordial way, asked him about one of the moves. I might disagree, but they're not even disagree with like a big move he's made, but I wasn't, you know, I'm not going to do any of that, but I'm sure he's a fine guy, but you know why it would take a whole podcast. And I've even thought about this, Nick, and you guys can let us know. Listen, I would like the listeners to some, to provide us some feedback on this because, I know there are some people who, A, like the rants that we have and A, like the criticism. There's some people like, oh, you're too harsh or you don't like it. So I was thinking about doing a podcast, Nick, around Christmas time, uh, which would be called Giants Festivus. So for those who know Festivus, uh, (laughs) it's a Seinfeld reference. Uh, George's dad, Frank Costanza, you know, was tired of having to fight people for this is what he said he was tired of having to fight people for toys on Christmas for his son he found a doll once and there was one guy who went for the doll at the same time as him he was gonna buy it for George and he got into a fight with him and he said he beat the guy he beat the guy down and the doll was broken so he decided to create his own holiday. Festivus. And part of Festivus is the airing of grievances. So I was thinking about doing a podcast, Giants Festivus, Dave Gettleman, the airing of grievance, where I just get to air all my grievances. And you too, Nick, because I'm sure you have them as well with Dave Gettleman and what he's done, starting with the offensive line and working its way down to every little mistake he's made. I was thinking about doing it. If anyone's interested in hearing a Festivus-based podcast airing the grievance of GM, Dave Gettleman, let me know. If it's too much, if you just want to hear the good, I get it. Trust me. Nobody wants to hear the bad. So just let us know. But as far as what makes him a bad general manager, I'll start with just a bad process, um, bad positional value rankings. Uh, and uh, he's very um, one of the worst things about Gettleman. He's very uh, see it, get it. So like he falls in love with the prospect and he has to get that prospect. Right. He falls in love with an idea. I have to upgrade quarterback. He dumps an early third round pick on Sam Beal when no one wants Sam Beal. So these are the type of moves he makes. He's very needy he wants to get it done right now and he wants to fix it right now and he falls in love with his own ability to scout he believes he can out scout people and unfortunately in today's NFL it might have been okay when he first broke into the league in in the 80s like there wasn't much technology there wasn't uh, a lot of analysis out there. There wasn't advanced analytics. There was, it was much harder to scout players and there was much less out there. It's kind of just like fantasy football nowadays. Like I used to be able to dominate my fantasy football leagues. Now all the information is out there. All the information is free. Everyone can get it. It's Similar in my mind, in the scouting game, you can't out scout these guys anymore. That's part of why I think the draft is such a crap shoot. And so he's felt like he's can out scout people on Jones, on Barkley, on Hernandez, on Carter, on plenty of his picks. And unfortunately he just hasn't been able to out scout people because that's not really possible anymore. So that would be what I boiled down to. Do you have anything to add?
1: No, I mean, like you said, I think we could do a whole podcast on that. So this next question, though, is de- definitely more directed towards you, and it's from T. Shaber. I'm not really sure how to say that, but uh, I apologize. Live post-COVID concert, you are most looking forward to.
2: So first of all, that's definitely pronounced Shaber. I would, I would imagine. No, I don't have confirmation on that, Nick. <sighs> Just another missing. I think these are the brass facts, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, I think, I think they are the yeah. brass
1: facts,
2: actually, right? <laughs> yeah. Live post-COVID concert I'm most looking forward to. Well, I'll first start saying I've been to a couple concerts already post-COVID. I went to My Morning Jacket at Forest Hills, which was pretty good. And then I went to Crongbin at Stubbs Barbecue in Austin, which was phenomenal. Just unbelievable. But as far as what I'm looking forward to next, it's probably going to be a couple tickets that my brother just snagged for me and, uh, me and my friends. It's Tame Impala at uh, barclays coming up in march i'm really excited we got floor seats for it so i'm super excited i've been wanting to see tame for a while i have heard Tame isn't as good live as some of these other bands obviously it's not it's not it's a little bit electronic things of that nature so i get why it won't be as good but i really want to hear his music live and i'm super excited for that so tame and Paula in march at barclays would be my answer all right nick let me ask you a big one here it comes and i've been wait, waiting to get into this right i don't know if we fully have our opinions developed for this yet either so it's going to be a bit raw but we'll get it. Matthew Valentine asks your thoughts on trading for Russell Wilson. I hate the idea of leveraging the Giants to for a quarterback who will turn 34 next year.
1: Yeah. So this is raw. There's no doubt about it. I'm not fully against the idea of trading for Russell Wilson. Now I would like to see the, the package, but I think it's definitely something to be considered. And I like the idea of actually having an elite quarterback, Because I mean, these draft picks, they're worth a lot. There's no doubt about it. But how many years have we been? Oh, well, at least we're picking in the top 10. And then you see the Eric Flowers and the Eli Apples and the this guy and then that guy. And then even the guys who are good, like Saquon Barkley. And it just hasn't resulted in wins. And I think bringing in a player like Russell Wilson gives you an opportunity, as we were saying earlier in the podcast, to win football games. What about you?
2: Yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting question. So I first want to start by saying if it's both these early first round picks plus more, which I think it would be and would have to be, it's a tough sell. Like it's a lot to give up for one player. Um, but it's not a lot to give up for an elite quarterback. Now, the question for me that comes down here is is he still an elite quarterback? And that's something that I need to I would want to watch the film on Russell. Like according to the stats, I saw this from Bob Condata. He's on pace. Russell Wilson's on pace despite, you know, playing through this injury that he rushed back. He was supposed to be an eight week injury. He got back in two weeks playing with a God offensive line in you know, Seattle. And it's going to be equally as awful if he comes to the Giants. Obviously, they won't have any picks to invest in it. So it's going to be equally as awful. Um, but despite, you know, playing with a bad, bad offensive line, the injury and a bad defense, that Seattle defense has not been good for a while. The Giants, He would be coming to a much better defense with the Giants. Let's make that clear. He's on pace for his be- a passer rating of one oh three point seven better than his career average. Third highest completion rate of his career, second lowest interception rate, just one point four percent and his fourth best yards per attempt rate, 8.0. So he's still playing good football according to the numbers. I would want to watch the film. I've always worked some things I've struggled with with Russell Wilson Eval at this stage of his career. I do think he probably has five years left, but he's not the same quarterback he was in his 20s. He doesn't use his legs the same way he used to. And that makes him a different quarterback. That makes him, in my mind, a worse quarterback that he's not using his legs the same way. Um, Just because they were such a weapon for him early in his career. He's picking up a lot of free yards that way. He was getting the Seahawks out of a lot of tough situations that way. I still think he has some of the elite tools or the tools that made him elite. Nick, his ability to throw with accuracy on the run is uncanny, like simply uncanny. I saw a throw he made last week where he was rolling to his opposite shoulder to the left and sticks a ball on the run, 15 to 20 yards on the field, pinpoint accuracy. Like, that's one of the biggest traits I like about Russell Wilson, his ability to throw on the run. It's one of the worst traits with Daniel Jones, to be completely honest. It's one of the things that concerns me most about Jones, in today's NFL especially. But I also like his ability to throw with anticipation on the vertical balls down the field. He still does a great job of that as well. I think the Giants can bring it, build a similar system out to the one they had built with Jones for Russell, but he'll just operate it a lot better. And so I'm intrigued by the idea as well, Nick. I believe that it's really hard to find quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, the Giants don't have any tried and true process. And even if they do, uh, simply skip it and build out and quote-unquote build around him by drafting two linemen or whatever it may be, there's no guarantee it will work by any means. We've seen teams try to do this for years and it hasn't worked. So I'm certainly intrigued by the idea. I would prefer it be Deshaun Watson if Deshaun Watson's legal troubles are behind him. I don't know if that'll be the case. Like, I would give up mo- a lot more for Deshaun Watson and be a lot happier with Deshaun Watson, um, including, But I'd give up both those first two rounds. Would you give up both those top six picks for Deshaun?
1: If, if, if everything was cleared and he was like 100%, like, like back and there's none of that yeah. hanging over him. Yeah, I would.
2: I'd give up that and more. I'd give up almost anything to get Deshaun Watson if if again if all of it's cleared. And as far as just the Russell Wilson, if Aaron Rodgers is on the move, I'd also rather have Rodgers than even at this advanced age than Wilson. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Rodgers over Wilson is interesting. I think I would. And I think you would get at least maybe 4 years of just really really good Aaron Rodgers. It's kind of hard to say right now, but I would definitely uh um, I would definitely be for that as well. I, I'm all for, I mean, this whole pop, this whole podcast, we've been, you know, banging this drum. I'm all for adding talented quarterback play. Cause I think that is the quickest way to turn this mess around.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Even if they added Wilson right now and weren't able to add anything to their offensive line, it's not too far off from what he's dealing with in Seattle's. And I know he's having his first bad year in Seattle, but he, ha- he was injured for a lot of that. So a lot of those games they lost was when he was injured. Um, and they had a horrific defense to start here. It was like, it was like almost, it was on pace to break records for how bad it was. The defense has come around in the second half for Seattle. Now it's more like bottom third tier, but it's not as good as it will be with the Giants. So even if you put him on this Giants roster as it is currently, and you don't have a chance to upgrade offense line. You have to use Bredesen, Lemieux, um, you know, you find, you find a way to scrap, scrap heap a right tackle in there, or you find some, some way to get a tackle in there regardless. I still think they'll win nine to 10 games or let's say eight to 10 games next year with Russell Wilson on the roster.
1: Yes. And young missile actually ends up asking us a little bit later on here. Is it possible for the giants to fit this from a cap perspective? And I'm not hundred percent certain on the numbers and how that would work, but I would say that the cap is a little bit more, as Dan always said on this podcast, maneuverable than it appears. Yeah, again, I'm not
2: going to get into any specifics. I don't know exactly how it would work, but I just say, look at the New Orleans Saints, man. I mean, they even had to deal with the Breeze retirement, which goes against their cap, and they're still found a way to, like, make all this work. The, the cap is maneuverable. I don't think it's a myth. I said that once as a joke. I was exaggerating. It's out there, but it's extremely soft in my mind. It's not It's not the hard cap it's made out to be. And, and you know, it's, not, it's obviously not like the NBA, obviously, or the MLB. That's nowhere close, but it's maneuverable. I think if they wanted to make this work, they could easily make this work. It might mean uh, restructuring more contracts and pushing more cap hits back, which the Saints have just consistently done. Like, But that's fine. I mean, again, eventually you're going to have to pay it. No, not really. If you keep pushing it back, you, you never have to pay it, right? Like, I think that's honestly what the Saints strategy is, Nick. I, I would love to hear it from, uh, to speak to their general manager, but I'm pretty sure in, his, in their mind, they're just like, if we keep pushing this back, right? And we just have more of a dead cap it each year. We never have to pay it if we just keep pushing it back, right? It's almost like a Seinfeld bit. Like you just keep pushing it back. Like eventually there will be a year you're quote unquote have to pay it, but then you just push it back to the next year and that year goes on
1: and there's never really a hard deadline. No. Yeah. It is like a Seinfeld bit. Yeah. Just keep pushing it back. Whatever. And, yeah, I'll never exactly. have to <laughs>
2: um, and then something goes wrong and you have to pay it up all at once. I actually have been rewatching Seinfeld, Nick. So I know you were a big rewatch or not a rewatch, but you watch Seinfeld for the first time ever fully through, uh, last year or two years ago. And so, I decided to rewatch it from start to finish. I just finished the first season. There were some classic moments and episodes from even that first season. It was raw. It was weird. Like the way it shot is different. The first episode, Jerry's dad is different. I, I forgot about that. Kramer looks different in the first episode and in the first season, which was weird. Um, but there are some really classic moments. They just had an episode where George got a stock tip and uh, had him and Jerry invest, and then Jerry sold, and then George stayed in it, and it and it blew up. And at the end, George is like treating them all to a dinner at the dining. And he's like, come on, get whatever you want Yo, Order it, order it They're like, I'm not hungry They're like, order it, leave it, who cares And then he gives a tip he, he, uh, the, the waitress comes by with the bill <laughs> He gives a bunch of money He's like, don't worry, I got it covered And he's like, yeah, wait a second, wait a second Come back here He looks at the bill and He tries to take a dollar of the tip out of her hand So funny Just like classic Seinfeld right there But yeah, anyway Little Seinfeld bit there Little, little, Little reminiscing on what I think is probably the greatest comedy of all time
1: Yeah, Seinfeld is great for sure
2: All right, let's do it. Liam Morrison asks, what are the chances ownership makes an outside hire for GM or president of football ops out of the way and gets out of the way? To me, it's the only way out of this mess. I personally put it at 15%. I want to hear your percentage chance. Most likely, I think it will be someone that aligns with the vision of that quote unquote goof. And that's his quote, Liam's
1: judge. So he wants a percentage chance of hiring outside of the organization. I think that's going to be much higher than 15%. I would say that's like a 65% chance. Yeah. I mean, if it's just what he's, if
2: if he's asking, like, it'll be someone completely unattached to judge, I'll say more like 35%, but I think it could just be someone outside the organization who believes in same things judge believes in. And I'll say this, I know, you know, he, he calls him a goof and I understand all the criticism of judge as a coach but i actually think judge has done a good job outside of being a coach i think he's brought a lot of the patriots way as far as valuation of draft picks things of things of like trading back and things of that nature i think he believes i like how he builds out his defense like there are things that i like about judge outside of being a coach my issues with judge are more based on his in-game coaching like that's my my biggest issue with judge is his in-game coaching so judge as the you know president type or as the like um somebody who aligns with the next gm they hire i'm okay with that That I'm personally fine with.
1: Yeah, exactly. What do we got from DK Whitman here, bro? Is there any hope for this team? I mean, these are questions we've kind of already went over. I love the uh, depressing nature of some of these. I see the writing on the wall with allegedly judge coming back. They ignore what happens on Sunday and keep thinking they are on the right path. Half measures, never wholesale changes, no changes to the organizational philosophy. So basically the question is, is there any hope for this team? And then a bunch of venting, which we Endorse here. We 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 appreciate the venting. I mean, we should all collectively get together and vent.
2: Yeah, I think it's okay to vent. I like venting. I know some people have thought that we vent too much on this podcast, or me specifically vent too much. But I don't know what. You, like, i just when people say that to me, I'm just like, what do you want us to talk about? Do you want us just lie and say and say the sky is is red? Like, I don't know what what the deal is here. But as far as you know what is there any hope for this team yeah there's hope for this team daniel jones has shown flashes like yes he's not been consistent whatsoever but he's shown big time flashes like the way he played in that second half that saints game was big time quarterback flashes when i finished that game i was like really excited about building forward with him he hasn't and i said i need him to be consistent and he hasn't really developed on a positive progression since then but he has flashed big time moments even during his rookie season as well so the hope for this team would be that Jones takes a massive step in year four. That would be the hope for this team. Cause if Jones can get a lot better, the everything's going to get a lot better. The other hope would be they make a big trade for a proven quarterback. Those are the me. That's how this turns around fastest. We've, we've touched a lot on this, but I I'm okay. You know, hammering this home the the, the upgrade at quarterback is what's going to be the biggest, you know, um, change in this franchise, whether that be through Jones's development or f- through finding someone better.
1: Absolutely, man. And then this one, This is a good question, and we've discussed this with Justin. Robert Allen asks, do you think the Giants should move on from Barkley this offseason, trade him for maybe a third or fourth rounder, and draft a more north-south type of runner? We can't really give him a second contract, which is something Dan and I have said as well.
2: Yeah. It's a good question. Like I, I think about it like this. If I had more faith in the Giants' front office, which I should have, especially if they hire someone new, I'd be like, yeah, let's take the three or the four and let's find our Ramondre Stevenson, right? Like, Ramondre Stevenson is a back that you loved in this class, Nick. You probably would have used a third or fourth if you were GM of the Giants at the time. And they nailed it, the Patriots. This kid looks freaking awesome. I will say, if anyone's playing in Dynasty Fantasy Football League, or even if you're just in your regular Fantasy Football League, draft him next year. All the in every place you can get he will outproduce his draft value next year. Like Damian Harris is a good player. He's on that roster. Rondre Stevenson is a difference making running back and they found him in the third or fourth and they're not the first team to do it. I do think a lot of the best elite running backs are found in the second Dalvin cook, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, but you could find the next level, which is fine. That's perfectly fine. If you have a good offensive line in that fourth round range. And so I want to say that I have faith in the Giants doing that, but I also want to say, like, and long-term, it's definitely better to get the third or the fourth, reset, the, reset that contract, have, you know, you know, have them under contract for cheap for four years and move on from Barkley. But I almost feel like for next season, I'd rather just throw all that out because the Giants haven't been good at landing these third or fourth round guys. They're not no guarantee to find the right back. They, they could just take a Gary Brightwell and just keep Barkley on the roster and then get the comp pick back after you let him hit free agency because someone's going to offer him a decent contract and then you get a compensatory pick back if you're not players in free agency that offseason and that'll be like a third round or a fourth round pick which are eventually which you're ultimately getting back if you were or you know it makes that trade a wash plus then you get the next season of Barkley in that nature you get the 2022 Barkley so I think I, I actually lean almost toward uh, against it if I had to if I had to say something now
1: yeah unless the deal is really really good and I think Barkley still has a lot of value. And David Helderman ends up asking a little bit later on here that he doesn't hear enough discussion regarding Barkley's habitual, abysmal bad pass protection. And I feel like we've highlighted that on the all 22 podcast, but I also feel like it's been a little bit better this year, specifically earlier in the season where he had a couple reps where you're like, oh, wow. Saquon got himself in the right position. He read the blitz. He wasn't fooled. I feel like this year has probably been his best year of pass protection, but it's still not a strength of his game. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, I think you just literally nailed that spot on. He has made big strides in pass protection, but that's the point big strides from where he was at. And he was at a very low place when it came to pass production. He was not good at it at all. So he's still not, still not a plus aspect of his game by any means. Um, And you're right. It does hurt the giants. It's not something you want out of your supposed gold jacket, your gold jacket pick, like gold jacket players don't have any negatives to their game, especially, you know, at the running back position where you just, you can't have any negatives. You're going to take someone that high. So It just goes back to the whole Barkley thing. But I do want to get to a couple more questions we might have skipped over here. One is from DK Whitman again. And he asked it this summer, and he wants to get our opinions on it now and how things have changed now that we've seen some tape and we've seen some games. He says, would you rather have Justin Fields plus whatever you could have gotten for Jones? He says a third or fourth. And again, I think they could have gotten for more for Jones last offseason in a trade. Just look at what Sam Darnold fetched. I do think Jones, I know what you said is actually true, Nick. The NFL probably had a much higher opinion on Darnold. Than Jones going into the classes, but Jones has proven more on the at the NFL level than, than Darnold and has shown more flashes, in my opinion, than Darnold. So maybe they could have got a second or third, let's say. So would you rather have Fields plus whatever pick you get picks you get for Jones or Jones, Tony, and and the Chicago draft picks they got from the uh, from the trade back?
1: see, I really like this question. I think Justin Fields, when you watch him, the ball pops out of his hand and you could tell that arm is just incredibly lively. It just zips through the air. But there are still a lot of issues with Justin Fields. And I haven't grinded through the All-22 of Chicago's tape, but I have seen quite a few primetime games and, and I've seen him struggle in terms of his ability to feel the pressure in the pocket. His offensive line is not good. He has a lot of the same excuses we use for Daniel Jones. But I still think I may lean Jones, Tony, and the Chicago picks here. I think it gives the Giants more flexibility in the upcoming drafts to possibly land their future signal caller if they don't think that is Jones or possibly just replenish a lot of the holes on this roster. What do you think, though? Because I know you were higher on fields than I was going into this draft.
2: I don't know ultimately if I was as higher on fields than you were going into this draft. I wasn't actually that high on fields personally, um, but maybe I know you weren't weren't either. So it's kind of just both – it's similar there. Um, one thing I just really don't like about Justin Fields from watching him play, I hate his throwing motion. And I just don't know if I can trust that throwing motion long term. I'm big on that. When you have that loop in your throwing motion, it is so hard to be good in the NFL level. Like you can blame it on your offensive line all you want, but there's only like a half second, and that's gonna lead to a lot of forced fumbles. It's gonna lead to a lot of hit when he's trying to throw, and just the timing is gonna be off. You just he, it's such it's so much wasted motion. You just can't afford wasted motion as a quarterback. You and just just watch him throw the football. I think they are actually doing a good job breaking it down on Sunday night football last week. I was talking about it with my brother who I was um watching you know watching the game with but that's one thing with justin fields where i'm just like i don't know how i feel long term so i'd still take the other side of the trade i think the better question is (laughs) slater or tony plus the pick that's probably the better question
1: yes absolutely or even (laughs) even
2: better would be micah parsons like who would you rather have right now building your franchise out that's a good That's a good question Rashawn slater or Mm -hmm. micah parsons who would you
1: rather have that is a really good question I, I look at Rashawn Slater and, and what he's going to do as a bookend tackle for an extended period of time. Look at the combination of him and Andrew Thomas on the same line together and, and think that would just be amazing for the New York Giants offense, which is their biggest liability right now. And then I look at Michael Parsons. I'm like, Dude, this guy might be generational, you know, like he's he's incredible. But I think I might lean Slater, although I, I you know, I <laughs> that's a difficult one for me, to be honest.
2: That's a really tough question. I think because Micah Parsons is defensive player of the year and just really changing the game from a, I guess, from just a pass rush standpoint, I'd probably go Parsons. But everything else tells me to go Slater here. And I think Slater has a better a better chance to uh, to be sustainable long term, like to be the all pro long term. I don't know. I just feel like sometimes with these pass rushes, they're, they can be flash in the pan. What Slater has, I think, is only going to get better and better. All right, let's do another one here from Neil. Yes, aside from the injuries in the offensive line, how do you think the offense can evolve from being about field position and ball control to being more productive and possibly exciting? Is that even possible since Joe Judge tends to play,
1: not to lose, versus being aggressive? What do you think about this one, Dan?
2: It's going to sound like a cop-out, Nick, but I hate to say it, but I really think this the whole like Joe Judge being conservative, all that stuff, I think it changes when you have a quarterback who can make explosive plays with his arm and can generate explosive plays. I know Jones is a good downfield thrower, but it hasn't happened often enough. And part of that is on Jones. Like this, just, he doesn't see it. He doesn't throw it. there's not anticipation on some of these stuff, on some of the things that have been o- available to him. Um, so how does this offense get more exciting? They improve quarterback play. That could just be Jones developing into a better player than he is now, but that to me is just how this offense gets more exciting.
1: That. And I also it, say that the giants do go in with Daniel Jones next season. This is going to be a completely different offense. Right now, Freddie Kitchens is calling Jason Garrett's playbook, which is mostly vanilla and a little bit more old school than what we are accustomed to seeing from teams like the Chiefs and teams that consistently move the football. So maybe with a different offensive coordinator, we could see a little bit more excitement. I'll say that. And again, I, I'm, that's a little bit of a glass half full type of mentality, but I do think it's in within the range of outcomes.
2: No, I think you're 100 percent right in here, Nick. I think there are smaller improvements that can be made. The bigger one is just getting better quarterback play, but the smaller ones are what exactly what you said. Just better. You know, a lot of people put too much weight on the coaching, but it's worth something. And, you know, with the full off season to get a better system in there, that will help as well. And obviously the offensive line will help as well. If you can get a better offensive line, you could generate more explosive plays. So there are little ways to do it as well. Neil believe asks, aside from the injuries and the offensive line, how do you think the offense can evolve from being a about field position and ball control to being more productive and possibly even exciting? Is that even possible since Joe Judge tends to play not to lose versus being aggressive?
1: We've touched on this a little bit, Neil, and Dan, I would like to get your take on this as well. I think it comes down to the quarterback. Again, I think if Joe Judge acquire someone like a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers or a Deshaun Watson, if everything is cleared, the team will be much more exciting. And I think he'll be a little bit more aggressive. I think Joe judge is naturally a little bit more conservative, but I think having a, a, a quarterback like Daniel Jones kind of exacerbates that conservativeness. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I
2: do think I agree with that. I go back and forth on if this is judge or if this is judge adjusting to what's around him. And I do wonder, you know, some of his comments are like, listen, we have faith in our defense and it's hard For him to in my mind have faith in this offense whether that is impacting his decisions to punt the ball so frequently in opponent's territory on fourth and three or short i don't know because i do honestly feel like almost any offense in the nfl if you practice enough fourth and short type plays can convert these at a high rate at a high enough rate to make it plus ev to go for them which is why in the community a lot of us are so dead set on going for it in these spots Obviously, also factoring in how scoring points is how you win football games, not field position. But, you know, maybe if the offense was scoring 35 points a week and putting touchdowns on the board often, he would be more likely to go for it. So I think it is possible to up, if you upgrade the offense by upgrading the line, by upgrading the passing game. There are different ways to do that. Obviously, if they stick with Jones, which seems most likely the goal is for him to just get better. He just needs to improve. And it's possible. He has made flashes. Okay. Let's get to the next one, Nick.
1: Yeah, man. Christopher Knowles asks, they say the salary cap is a myth. Hmm. Who is they, Dan? So should the (laughs) Giants go after Chandler Jones, get another edge rusher with one of the two high draft picks?
2: Well, first of all, this might be a reference to me. I doubt it is, though, because I think a lot of people do say this. I once said the salary cap was a myth. I was exaggerating to make a point. It's not a myth. The point is it's a lot more of a soft cap than people realize. Once again, somehow the New Orleans Saints are set to be sixty million dollars over the cap this offseason. I just saw a graphic that shows the Saints are going to be sixty million over the cap. I swear to God, I started in this industry in 2014 and I was covering the NFC South and the Saints. And I believe they were like 35 million over the cap going into that 2015 offseason. Somehow, some way they've continued to just maneuver this cap in in really incredible fashion i do really honestly believe it is like a seinfeld bit where at the end you know there's like we'll never have to pay it if we just keep pushing it back so yes i do think the giants if they wanted to could be aggressive again in free agency but i think at this point christopher it's time to just take a step back focus on things that matter building out the offensive line should a great offensive lineman come available to them maybe that's when you start to consider pushing the cap back. As far as edge goes, Chandler Jones, I'm out on that. They're not the type of team that needs Chandler Jones right now. What do you think about this, Nick?
1: Yeah, I'm out on the Chandler Jones thing as well. But his third part of his question was about investing one of those two high draft picks in the edge rusher. I'm all about that, and I know you are as well, Dan. If it's Kayvon Thibodeau, if it's uh, Aiden Hutchinson from Oregon and Michigan, respectively. But I haven't done enough work on the Purdue kid, and I know there are a couple right. other edge rushers that are uh, – Talked about in high regard. So we'll definitely watch the film on all that and have a more extensive response in terms of those guys. Cause it seems like right now, Hutchinson and Thibodeau may not even be available to the Giants. And it's crazy because you think about the Giants and you think about the Bears, and those are two. Absolutely terrible organizations, but there are even worse organizations out there right now with the Texans, Jags, and the Jets.
2: Yeah, the Texans, Jags, and Jets are just simply not winning football games, and the Lions as well. And so it's a weird year. Like even despite the fact that the Giants have lost almost every game they've played, I mean they ground out a couple wins against the Eagles and Raiders just because they had four turnovers in each game, and the other team didn't, and uh, the Giants did turn the ball over. What were the other two wins that the Giants had? I can't even remember them this year. What were the other Giants' wins this year? Maybe Car- this year's
1: been. <laughs> they beat Carolina as well. Which Carolina,
2: yeah. And the Saints. All right. Peter. Oh, this one's going to be a tough one to pronounce. Peter uh, Gingleski. Gingleski? I, I don't know how to pronounce. Nick, do you have a better read on this?
1: No, I'm just going to go with you and not even try to butcher this one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, Peter. But he says, arguably, five or six guys could be QB1 in this draft. If one falls to us in the second round, how do you pass on that value? At worst, you likely be getting a solid, affordable backup. By the way, Dan, if you like tight window throws, you're going to love watching Carson Strong.
1: Got to do that Carson Strong film. And yeah, I I would definitely think a quarterback in the second round would be in consideration if the Giants have a high grade on him and they fall for, and he falls to that pick. Again, I don't want them reaching for any of these guys or anything like that, because I felt like that's probably what happened in 2019. It seemed like Dave Gettleman just loved Daniel Jones, reached for him at six, hasn't necessarily worked out. So I don't want that situation to transpire again. But if one of those guys who could be a first-round pick ends up slipping to the second round, the Giants look around, they don't like every, everything else on the board, I'm not going to knock them for investing in the quarterback position when your quarterback position is still questionable.
2: Yeah, it's weird. It's tough for me, Peter. I'm at a weird spot with quarterback. I'm almost at the point where I'm like, if he doesn't have elite traits, he's probably never made. He's probably, or sorry, if he has elite traits, he's probably never making it out of the top 10 of any class. Right. So like if he is making it out of the top 10 to the top of the second round, like in your example, does he really have elite traits or are we getting another Daniel Jones type prospect? I don't really see too much value in the Daniel Jones type prospect. I'd almost rather just do what the Rams have done, right? Or just do what a lot of these other teams have done and just trade for a proven quarterback. Like, I know he's older than he's a huge cap hit. But, you know, if you can't get your hands on these Herbert Burrow-type prospects, Kyler-type prospects, then you're just you're restarting that quarterback clock, which is a good thing, but you're also just in this compl- this constant quarterback purgatory like they seem to be in right now. And it's just like, I keep going back and forth a lot on quarterback because it's just so important. And I'm almost at the point now where I, like, I just want to get someone who's good. And even if that means trading for an older player and giving up a lot to get there. Oh, look who just made an appearance on the pod. Is that his first appearance on the Big Blue Banter podcast?
1: I'm not sure. It wasn't him, but it was his paw that made the appearance, stepping on a squeaky toy.
2: Okay. Well, you spoil him with too many toys. That's clear. Uh, you
1: know what? That's probably true. That's probably true. Phoenix, but, uh, I knew
2: he'd be spoiled from the start. Oh, uh, you, you did? Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. I just knew it was going to, I mean, most pets get spoiled, but I just had yeah. a feeling Phoenix was going to live a good life.
1: I got, oh yeah, he lives a great life. But I gotta say, man, we have him trained to a T right now. But he's still puppy doing puppy things. So
2: that's good. Yeah, I mean, you want it. You you'll remember those moments. Those are fun moments. But listen, I get it, Peter. And I have watched a little bit of Carson Strong. I like some of the throws he's made, though. I do wonder, is he gonna have the pockets that I see him have there at Nevada? Is he gonna play the same level of competition? Hell no. So those that type of stuff always scares me when it comes to these quarterbacks. I don't know, man. I'm in a bad spot with quarterback. I really am because it means so much and it's so hard to get them. That's <laughs> just what? losing, losing faith in how, how they can do it. Um,
1: but we'll Let, see. Let's have some fun then here. All right. Now this is one option, right? Another option is just stay status quo with Daniel Jones. Now that is a, that is a feasible option. Then there's the other option that we talked about earlier in this podcast, which is going out and getting a Russell Wilson or a Aaron Rodgers or a Deshaun Watson or something like that. That's kind of a big flashy type of way. And ne- that necessarily hasn't been the traditional New York giants way of doing things. If you had to pick one method, what would it be?
2: Um, for right now, like where they're at right now, or just in general,
1: like next season, say the giants have to, or they're doing something with the quarterback position. It could be leave it be like we yeah. said, could be invest a second round pick. Could be invest a first round pick, or could be make that splash thing and right. possibly mortgage the future with the current roster that they have now. What as of right now, obviously it's subject to change. Yeah, which one would you choose?
2: I'm curious to get your take after this. I think as of right now, raw, without having processed this too much and just kind of put on the spot, I would lean towards the following: one, if Deshaun Watson is cleared, and you know if he proves to be a, you know if this proves to be. I guess if he was falsely accused of this stuff, which I guess I, I don't really want to get too much into the legal stuff, so that's hard. But I guess if that's the case, which I don't know if it will be, that would be my number one option. Trade these trade for Deshaun Watson. Prior, prioritize it as the move you need to make this offseason. Give up both those first two-round picks and more. I don't care. It doesn't matter. If he's clear, he's young, and he's unbelievable. Like He is next-level type quarterback. I think he's a considerable upgrade to Russell Wilson. Even if they were the same age, I would consider him a considerable upgrade to Russell Wilson. Um, before he left, you know, before he stopped playing, Deshaun Watson, to me, was one of the best quarterbacks independent of the surroundings. I think that, you know, I, was, I would put Rodgers over him. I would put Mahomes maybe over him. Yeah, Mahomes for sure, as far as independent of the surroundings. But some of what he was able to do with very little to work with over his tenure with, with Houston— was just unbelievably impressive. And he's one of the most impressive quarterbacks I've watched on tape as well. Um, I would put that number one. Number two, I would put stick with Daniel Jones, give him one more year, try to improve around him. And then number three, I put Russell, but the Russell thing for me is tough because I don't know if for me, I'm willing to do Russell, because I know Russell's going to require at least these first two round picks plus more. And that to me is a steep price to pay based on his age. So that's the whole thing with me. Like I'm desperate for improved quarterback play. I'm desperate for a team that can win games consistently. I'm desperate for a team that can compete for the playoffs and then maybe make a run in the playoffs. And I know deep down, Nick, that the only way that's going to happen is if the quarterback play gets a lot better than what it's been. But, and so that desperation would lead me toward Russell Wilson, but I'm just not sure if long-term the desperation of trading all of that for his, for a quarterback of that age is worth it.
1: I think I have the same exact order as you. It would be Deshaun Watson if everything is cleared. And then also I'm a little bit more open to Russell Wilson. I think he's 34 years old right now. I think in today's NFL, if you take care of your body, which we know Russell Wilson, because he makes sure you understand that he works out mm-hmm. really hard because he is kind of a goober to be honest yes but that'd be I'd be fine with Russell Wilson I think but I, I you're right man I don't want to pay a, a huge amount either so it would have to be him and the Seahawks organization kind of having an Aaron Rodgers Brian Gutekunst situation where they're butting heads and then they just ask for like the two first round picks and not you know the next year's picks and then and the year after that or but something you would do
2: the two first rounders
1: I would consider it. I, I wouldn't okay. rule it out. I, I don't think it's insane. Because, again, I think if you add a, a talent like a Russell Wilson to this team, it's going to significantly improve this team the very next season. I, I really do believe that. I'm not saying I would definitely do it. You're
2: 100% I right on that. I, 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 Yeah, go ahead, Nick.
1: I, I just think the Giants turn into – a playoff contender, which is something we haven't seen in right. so long. I mean, they did it in 2016, they went to the playoffs, lost to Green Bay. But other than that, this team hasn't been a consistent playoff contender in so damn long, dude. And I think that could flip a lot of different things and bring a lot of just uh, kind of an automatic change to, to what the New York Giants are right now. That's that's what you know I really
2: I like that take, Nick. And every day that goes by, I warm up more toward the idea of trading a lot of assets for Russell Wilson. Um, yes, I do feel in some ways like it's risking the future. Mortgaging a bit of the future for the present. But at the same time, like you said, it could change the whole outlook of the franchise. It could change players wanting to come here for cheaper. It could change the culture. I know we all say Joe Judge is changing the culture. That was supposed to be what he's done so well, but they're losing again. So clearly, he hasn't really done much for the culture as much as what has been said. In my mind, cultures really don't change much unless you win. I know there's all this other talk about, oh, you win games at the end of the year, change the culture. No, no, win games. When it matters, you make the playoffs and you make a run. And one other thing with Wilson is he's proven he can make considerably deep runs. Like, without save for the the terrible play call, obviously, to throw the interception in the red zone. He's a two-time winning Super Bowl quarterback. It means he got through the playoffs twice. The whole gauntlet of the playoffs made it to the Super Bowl and won. And there's been other close calls for Seattle over his tenure where, like, games where, if, you know, an onside kick goes this way or one play goes this way, he's making it to the Super Bowl again. So he's proven he can make runs in the playoffs. Despite being, you know, 34 years old, I still think you're right. The way he takes care of his body, he probably has another five years at minimum in him. And so I do think if Russell Wilson was added to this roster for the 2022 season, Kenny Galladay would look a lot better. Kadarius Toney would look a lot better. Saquon Barkley would look a lot better. The offensive line would look a lot better. I really do believe that. And the defense would have a lot less on their plates week by week. They'd have to do a lot less. Russell Wilson would hit a 60 yard touchdown here or there, you know, almost every week he would hit one in my opinion, or like, even not a touchdown, a 60 yard play. He connects on them all the time with Tyler Lockett. Yeah. It would take him some time to develop some chemistry with some of these guys, but they would be giving him a lot of talent at the receiver position and at the running back position right away,
1: bro. His finger isn't probably fully healed right now. And some of the passes he threw on Sunday and yeah, it's against Houston, but I don't care. Just the, The understanding of trajectory and touch that Russell Wilson has is one of the best in the National Football League. And the rapport he has with Lockett helps that. But still, man, like the the one pass, he hit Lockett right on like the number six, bro. And it was like 60 yards downfield, perfectly over the top. We haven't seen something like that from the New York Giants in so damn long.
2: Yeah, and it's it's the anticipation too. It's like he throws with so much anticipation. That's one of his best traits, and he is a really advanced mentally uh, quarterback from a mental processing standpoint. Like in my mind, he could pick up any system the Giants throw at him pretty quick. Like I know it's like oh, like I'd be more worried about the chemistry with receivers than I am him picking up a new playbook. Like he'll be fine. Trust me, he'll be good. Like this guy has played quarterback for a long time at a high level. He doesn't need. This is not someone who's learning the position or like not as far as advanced in the position. So. It's interesting, man, as every day goes by, I kind of start to get more antsy and kind of start to want it, but I am okay with them just going back with Jones one more year and seeing if they can kind of try to improve things around him. I'll be honest, though, like my expectations going into this year were they could win 10 or 11 games, uh, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, or no, fool me once, shame on you, is it? Fool me twice, shame on me, is that the yes. right one? Yes. Okay, good. I, I get them all wrong, so it's good to get one right. Full, full. Yeah, shame on me though, because like I'm not going to think this team is going to win 11 games next year if they do return the stat, uh, quote unquote, the status quo and just try to build around it with these first round picks. Like I won't think that. Oh, unfortunately, we have to. I have to try to be positive It's <laughs> good for our, our brand, but I'm not going to go into it and predict another 11 win season. It's not fair to the fans. It's not. It's it goes above the expectations that make any logical sense because we haven't seen any proof that it can happen yet. So. It is what it is, but it's definitely something that we'll be talking about all offseason, I feel like, because I actually think these Russell Wilson in, uh, rumors will only intensify um, as we move forward. I think he's done with Seattle, and I think he wants to play in New York. I know there's no proof of that. I know I actually tweeted about it. It was I said it was a gut feel, Nick. And you should have seen the responses to this reply. I said my gut feels there will be mutual interest, and people went off from Seattle. Seattle fans were going off on me. You know, they were, they were, they were just not having it. They're like, there's no proof he wants to play in New York. There's no proof Sierra wants to be in New York. All sorts of stuff. I was like, listen, it was a gut feel. I said
1: it was a gut feel.
2: Give me a break
1: here. Ah, Twitter's Twitter, man. It's 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 a it's as, wild, as Dave, wild, wild, wild place. As Dave Chappelle said, it's not a real place. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right, so Chris D. Simone asks. Dave Gettleman has spent first round picks on Barkley, Jones, Lawrence, Baker, Thomas, and Tony, passing on the likes of Werff, Slater, Parson, Herbert, among others. He also signed Solder, dumped Eitler, and believed Hernandez was worthy of a top 35 pick. How is he still employed? <laughs> yeah, that's a, the craziest thing
2: about this, Chris, is that doesn't even like quantify or like encapsulate all of his mistakes. Like that should be enough. That's it. That should be it. Like, nope. There's more. There's a whole lot more. And yeah, how is he still employed? Well, the GM, or I'm sorry, the owner has a great relationship with him. Uh, Joe Judge, quote unquote, apparently, according to the rumors, I don't even fully believe this though, Nick, likes him and has a good working relationship with him. I know Judge has said that out loud, but I don't know what else he was supposed to say in that spot, but apparently he has a good relationship with him. Um, So that is one reason why he's still employed. The GM and the coach get along. The, uh, The owner loves the coach. Um, he wanted to give him another year to try to build this thing. He gave him a super long leech, the longest leech you can imagine. Um, and so that's why he's still employed.
1: Yeah, Dave Gettleman also, John Mayer doesn't like firing people midseason. I know he did it to Jerry Reese. He did it to Ben McAdoo. Dave Gettleman has been with this organization for what? Since he, he was a scout in the 90s for them before becoming the director of pro personnel. And then he went to Carolina. He came back they're gonna let him ride this season out and then retire and then yeah. the, the ceremonious retire he's getting you know fired obviously but he's just gonna retire because the dude's old as hell so i uh i'm not like one of the fans that is like oh he should be fired right now it's like dude uh, Let's just let it ride out. Uh, hopefully the Giants, they can still do another like search for the general manager, the future general manager, because it's understood that Dave Gettleman is going to be out by the end of the year. He tried his method. His method did not work. The Giants need to pivot. They need to find somebody with a much fresher outlook on the modern NFL because Dave Gettleman has a little bit more of an old school mentality. And let's hope they bring somebody like that in. And as we said earlier in the podcast, do not promote from within because they definitely need a new set of eyes on just the entire process. Cause the giants process over the last decade has been horrific.
2: Yeah. Like you said, new set of eyes on the process, new set of eyes on some of the most important assets and their, and the determining what their future will be, whether that be Daniel Jones or Saquon Barkley. Um, all right. David Pascal asks what teams in your opinion have some of the better run personnel departments in the NFL and where can we try to find our next general manager? Okay. I'm
1: going to name three teams. Okay. So I'm going to say the Colts, With Chris Ballard, that's a very, very well-run organization. The Ravens, under Ozzie Newsom and now under the uh, Eric DaCosta, who was the hot general manager name for a very long time. He was waiting for Ozzie Newsom to retire, and now he's in charge over there in Baltimore. I think that's another very well-run organization in terms of draft and understanding. And valuing assets all these teams that go out and they trade like fourth fifth round picks for guys like calais campbell that's just a smart way to do business and the eagles i would have put up there back in like 2017 but they, they've done a lot of questionable things recently yeah. that makes me not really want to list them because you know selecting jalen Rager over justin jefferson is not necessarily something that's going to be conducive towards success so those would be my two teams that come to my mind and then uh, tampa bay bro and i know tom brady really helped bring that franchise to where they are and i've been very very critical of their general manager in the past, you know, selecting uh, what was it, Roberto Aguayo in the second round, a kicker out of like Florida State. Like, I thought that was a horrific pick, but then they also were able to retain everybody this offseason. A lot of people want to come with Tom Brady. I think Tom Brady masks a lot of the uh, stink that was coming from that franchise, but they were still a what a seven and nine team with Jameis Winston throwing 30 interceptions that year. So I would say the Buccaneers is another organization that kind of piques my interest. What about you?
2: So I'll start by agreeing on the first two that you said, I'll start with the Ravens. You know, you get someone from that organization, you're going to immediately have someone who understands the value of how to best play um, free agency. So what the Ravens have done with free agency is they very rarely sign a big name free agent who i a, undra- uh, I'm sorry, unrestricted free agent. What they'll do is instead they'll spend money in free agency, but it will be on players like Kevin Zeitler, like they did it off season. What do they gain by that? Well, by signing a player like Kevin Zeitler, who was released by the giants, who wasn't an unrestricted free agent, but was released. It doesn't work against their compensatory cap. Formula, or I'm sorry, the compensatory pick formula. So if you'll notice, every single year, pretty much without fail, the Ravens will get one or multiple compensatory draft picks. So they're adding a free third, fourth, or fifth round pick, sometimes all of those and multiple of those every single offseason while never dumping money in free agency. So never putting themselves in a position where they can't re sign some of their own players, like the Giants were this offseason with Dalvin Tomlinson, for example. Though obviously the Giants kind of in some ways opted not to because they <laughs> decided to pay $25 million a year for Leonard Williams. regardless, the point is, I like how that organization is run and I like how they draft. They consistently draft offensive linemen in the middle rounds, replenishing that group, even though this year it's finally down. I mean, they had some retirements. They traded Orlando Brown because he kind of forced his way out of there. I'm sure they would have never wanted to trade Orlando Brown. They would have loved to just have him at right tackle Um, and yonder retired like they've had some some bad luck there, but they've done a good job there. So that's a great call. The second one I want to talk about, who is the other team you mentioned
1: before the Eagles? Before the Eagles, I said Baltimore and the Colts.
2: The Colts, yeah. The Colts, another great example of a team that understands the process of the draft. If you look at Chris Ballard's draft, he's had uh, double-digit picks in every single one. That's by design. That's not by chance. They trade back. They acquire more picks. They take more swings. That's how you do this thing. That's how the best teams do it. And I would love to have another person in the organization. A couple other teams that come to mind for me, Nick, are one, the Los Angeles Chargers. And we talked to Steve Haglin a couple uh, weeks ago, I believe, uh, or last week, I should say. He mentioned the name there. But if that's the guy or if there's a better guy, the Giants can identify. I'm fine with it. I really like they like the their actual evals. Like, they've made some picks that are just phenomenal. Derwin James, Rashawn Slater, Justin Herbert. Uh, Asante Samuel Jr., who me and Nick watched on tape. I told you the first time I watched Asante. I'm like, this guy's a corner. He's smooth. He's going to be a corner. You could just tell with some of these guys they're going to be hits. And I know he's been injured lately, but Samuel's been a a pure hit for them right away as a rookie for them. And they have plenty of other examples. This Adderley was a good pick. They have tons of players that have just been cycling in and out of these draft classes that have been hit. So I just like the way they go about it. Um, obviously that one is a little more, uh, you know, suggesting to get somebody from that franchise is a little more going against what I preach, which is like, um, nailing the evals because it is a bit luck based I think the draft in a lot of ways but I do like their process and I do think that they've done pretty well there the last team I would mention is the Titans who I think have done a really good job building out that roster despite having to pay a ton of money to running back and quarterback positions where I don't really think they're getting elite quarterback play by any means I guess you can say they're getting elite running back play but obviously we know as Giants fans elite running back play only takes you so far you need the line and so I think they've done a good job building out both lines there. They built out a really good, really good uh, defensive line. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons was an incredible pick. That's what you want. When you take IDL in the top 19, you don't want the Dexter Lawrences of the world. You want the Jeffrey Simmons as the guys who can in, in, impact the pass game consistently on an every down basis. And they've done that with a lot of the players, Harold Landry, another great pick they've made. Um, and there's countless ones if you look back through their tenure, but they'd be uh, lower on the list for me. I think the the big ones are the two you mentioned, Nick, and then the Chargers for
1: Yeah, you definitely wouldn't like the Titans process with Isaiah Wilson. That was a, you have to get a right tackle, and we're going to go with this big mauler because we're a mauling type of team. And as for the Chargers, I like what you brought up, but you brought up those two names specifically, Rashawn Slater and Derwin James. Both those guys fell right into Telesco's lap. Right. Like I remember that during when James Drabb was like, dude, I can't believe this kid is just falling. I think they got him at like seventeen or eighteen. It was a little bit later. And then Rashawn Slater, I mean, if I'm Telesco, I'm laughing my ass off, dude, because like the Giants actually passed on this kid. <laughs> really? I mean, they passed to Jace because they traded back, but it's like, dude, this is awesome that this kid fell right into our lap. A lot of us did not expect that to happen. So I mean, it's a little bit of luck there, but at the same time, you know, you have to applaud him for actually making the decision.
2: Yep, no doubt about it. All right. Let's move on to the next one here. Um, We got one from Dom, our boy, Dom Kaguya. Before the year, one or both of you said it might be bad that the Giants will have so many impending free agents with no salary cap room to resign them. Do you still think this matters? I don't because so many of those free free agents are not even good.
1: Yeah, some of them free (laughs) agents aren't aren't all that good, and we were hoping that players like Will Hernandez were going to kind of take that next step. Guys who are in expiring contracts, maybe that would, I don't know, motivate them more. Maybe not even just motivate them more, but they would be able to be unlocked under this new coaching staff. None of that happened. So I'm not worried about losing Will Hernandez's of the world. So I'm not overly worried about that in general, Dom. I'm hoping the Giants can hit in this next draft with this next general manager and get a lot of big impact rookies. If you look at this last draft from the New York Giants, the only big impact rookie they've really had all season, a lot of it's due to injury, has been Aziz Ojalari, who seems like an absolute steal in the second round. But Darius Tony can't stay healthy. Aaron Robinson just got back on the field along with Ellerson Smith where Darius Williams is injured. And then Gary Brightwell is a special teams player. So and I'm actually curious, man, and this kind of deviates from what Dom is saying. So first, let's actually get your take on this, Dan.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think, I think you nailed it to some degree here, Nick. Uh, really, to the major degree here. It's not. It's although it's not what we expected it to be. There's still players that we think should be resigned for any healthy for, roster that is concerned with things, things like depth as well, right? Like this, there needs to be some level of depth on this roster, especially positions where depth is so important, like the offensive line, for example. And there just doesn't seem to be that at all times with this team. So. It's tough for me, Nick. I don't know. I don't know where I'm at with this one because it's just like some of these guys, I can totally understand what he's saying. Like they don't, they're not, it doesn't matter. These guys shouldn't be resigned. We shouldn't allocate cap space, but if you let all of these players go, where is the roster going to be at from a depth standpoint next year? Right? Like where are they finding this depth? It, they have a lot of draft picks for sure, but that you can't count on rookies to immediately serve as depth. Right?
1: No, not necessarily. I mean, Quincy Roche is more of a rarity than right. Yeah, that's more of an anomaly than anything else. You're not going to, you know, pluck somebody off of a practice squad from another team and then have kind of an immediate impact, which is something that was kind of gone, I don't want to say underappreciated so far this season. I don't want to crown him quite yet. But man, you watch the film, dude, he's tough, dude. You know, I mean, he's supposed to destroy the blocks of tight ends. But you're talking about tight ends that have, you know, seven years in the NFL, guys who are solid blocking tight ends, and he just throws them aside. Even tackles, he does a pretty good job against. I think that was a a huge steal by Dave Gettleman. And Dave Gettleman should be criticized, you know, to so much. But that was one that I think the Giants got kind of lucky on or just was a good evaluation to bring him off Pittsburgh's practice squad to to serve a position that is not talented. I mean, we were relying on guys like Ryan Anderson and Ifidi Odenabo in the beginning of the season. We thought they were going to have an impact. Neither of them had done anything. They're not there. So – Aziz Jolari Quincy Roche that that's a a good tandem of rookies and I hope next season the new general manager can find guys like that to plug and play in in positions of need offensive line that's going to be very very difficult because those guys get drafted if you have any kind of talent college level typically
2: yeah exactly there you you, we shouldn't bank on them finding linemen in that way especially with a team like the Giants who haven't really shown a good you know it hasn't really done a good job of developing their linemen anyway um let's just talk player by player Though i'm curious your take nate Solder, obviously that's going to be an easy one the biggest one for me is probably austin johnson like he's a free agent and i think he's been by far and away out of all these guys i see coming up as free agents there's plenty of bigger names evan ingram jabril peppers will hernandez he might be the best player and the most the one most most worth resigning
1: he might be the one most, and I got to get the list in front of me, to be honest. Evan Ingram, I think, is the most interesting, though, because the Giants don't have anything at tight end right now. Kyle Rudolph might not be here, and even if he is, he's not your your 1A tight end. And Evan Ingram, I know he's a lot of people have issues with Evan Ingram because of all the drops. He's still a very talented player who is young, but can the Giants sign him? Do the Giants want to sign him? And what is that whole situation going to be? He's the one who interests me the most. As for Austin Johnson, I think Austin Johnson is an ideal number three defensive tackle who is rotational behind players like Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams. I would like to bring Austin Johnson back. I think maybe he likes to be here. He's with his college coach and Coach Chaos, which is you know a great situation for him. He's 27 years old, though, and I could see maybe another team offering him a little bit more money than the Giants will be able to because the Giants have to make decisions with players like Evan Ingram. And I don't know a bunch of peppers right now coming off the torn ACLs. So that's a whole other situation. But uh, overall, if you say, hey, would you want Austin Johnson back next year? Absolutely. He's played really well with the New York Giants so far.
2: Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point there um, that I want to touch on before I get into, and I will list off some of these big names. There are actually a lot of big name freedoms, so it's interesting, or big name, you know, uh, relatively speaking, for what the Giants are. But as far as tight end goes, this is what really makes it crappy. I'm not going to use the other word I was about to use because this is a family-friendly show. But this is what makes it crappy that Kayden Smith's hurt because this could have been a great opportunity for the Giants to showcase Smith, to see if he's the guy they can move forward with, and in that sense... Get rid of Rudolph because that contract's horrible and he should be cut. And He's not good at blocking. He's not good at anything, really. And then not re Ingram because Ingram, again, is not really a player you want to re-sign. Like, I understand he has some upside the Giants haven't tapped into. We've seen some of that in flashes with Freddie Kitchen's offense, but – or I should say Freddie kitchen's calling the plays, but he can't block. And he's never going to be able to block with that frame. Like they need different kind of tight end on this roster. Caden Smith, I believe has shown flashes of being what, the, what, what they want to be, what he can be, but it sucks because he's hurt. And so it leaves them in a really bad spot. Tight ends, a weird position, man. They're in a bad spot at tight end, a really bad spot moving forward at tight end. And it is not an easy position to acquire in an offseason. It's really hard. I'm going to actually start to look into some free agent tight ends. Maybe they can find someone cheap who's a who's a solid blocker and can kind of just serve that kind of role for them with Caden Smith. But it's going to be an interesting spot for them.
1: Absolutely. And I'm looking at the market value. According to Spotrack.com, they say that the market value for someone like Evan Ingram would be four years, around $28 million. And I don't know if the Giants are going to allocate that much to a player like Evan Ingram and I look around the NFL you know teams are looking for mismatch nightmares and I know that oh it sucks to hear because Evan Ingram was built up like that he wasn't utilized like that through multiple coaching staff we're seeing a little bit a little bit of it now so I look at some of those better teams I think there's going to be interest in Evan Ingram I mean a 27 year old who can run a 4-4 at tight end that's nothing to kind of bat your eyes at especially if he's not the primary read in offense you pair him with a talented wide receiver on the outside, an efficient running game. You can use him, I think, as a big slot in some certain situations. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets that contract, but I don't think it would be from the Gi- Giants.
2: Yeah, a couple other free agents to keep an eye on. They really have, do have a lot, at least as far as players that are like playing a big role this year or had played a big role this year. Solder, Austin Johnson, Billy Price, Evan Ingram, Jabril Peppers, John Ross, Will Hernandez. That's a lot. And Lorenzo Carter. Like, that's a lot of people playing a lot of snaps. Matt Scura, Bernard McKendree, Bernardrick McKindry, even at this point. Like, that's a lot of players playing a lot of snaps this year. It's kind of crazy.
1: Reggie Raglan as well. Danny yep. Shelton. So those are just a lot of snaps. Now, Reggie Raglan and Danny Shelton aren't necessarily two players I want back with the team, but that's still a lot of snaps to replace. And A lot of snaps. And, you, and you, the hope is Blake Martinez is going to come back and be fully healthy, so you wouldn't have to rely as much on Reggie Raglan and Tay Crowder, but – you know, anything can happen, man. We, we learned that early on in the season. Injuries are a huge part of the NFL. The Giants are not the only team to suffer it. And that's why depth is so important. That's why drafting is so important because you draft for depth if you do have the star player and the Giants haven't really done a great job with that quite yet.
2: Yep. All right. One more question. Then we're going to wrap it on up. Great mailbag. Thank you to everybody to, uh, sending in questions. These are always a lot of fun. We're going to do the next one a lot quicker than this one. And I know a lot of you have actually been reaching out to me or both me and Nick because so I've, I've seen Nick tagged in some of these asking when the next time we're going to do a locker room or a live type show where we interact with the fans live and answer the questions live. We got some we got we got to talk about that because I definitely want to plan that. And I've been talking a little bit with Nick off pot about it. Um, the, locker it may,
1: room, the locker room was all messed up last time we tried to do. it. Right.
2: Yeah, exactly. It may not be locker room. It will. We're going to think of something we can do. Maybe may even be on YouTube if we can figure yeah. out how to do live YouTube. Because That's probably the best option. So keep an eye on on that, and if you don't already follow us on YouTube, go head over there and type in Big Blue Banter. You'll see our logo. Follow us on YouTube. Be a subscriber, and if we do end up doing those live shows, we'll definitely give a lot of notice beforehand. So last question is going to be from Victor. He says, if you were a general manager head coach, would you rather take the Jacksonville Jaguars roster that has its franchise quarterback in place but little else, or the Giants that does not? for the sake of argument, have a franchise quarterback, but a good number of assets, for example, a great defense.
1: So this is a really interesting one, Victor. And and I've really been kind of going back and forth here because for one, I look at the Jags roster right now. And by the way, they're going to need a new head coach because homeboy urban Meyer got fired earlier today. I mean, you, can you pass up on Trevor Lawrence? If if he's the guy that that we think he can be, I mean, I lean, I don't know, man. I'm interested to get your take here. I lean towards, Jacksonville. But then I also think about the outside variables. Not a lot of players like to go to Jacksonville and play for the Jacksonville Jags. I think if the giants become stable, people want to come to the giants. That is a very reputable organization. At least it has been in the past 10 years. It really hasn't been, but over the history, I think the giants have a little bit more, even though the tax codes for New York is much worse than the tax codes in Florida. I feel like the giants are more of an attraction than Jacksonville is. So I don't know. I lean Jacksonville. What about you? Um,
2: So in this scenario, it's also like you get the roster. You don't play in the, in the state or whatever. And, and either way, like I think, that people ultimately will go to free and players like that will ultimately go where teams are winning. And if you have a quarterback in place, that's your fastest route toward winning. We both yep. agree with that. We both know that we're both well aware. I know some fans are, are not on that bandwagon. A lot of the fans I've discussed, you know, the Russell Wilson situation, the Daniel Jones situation with all kind of, not a lot, not, not all, but some of these fans believe that, you know, you got to fix the O line first. You got to do all this other stuff first, then you get the QB. I'm not so sure. I agree with that. I also, am not so sure that, a good QB doesn't make all that stuff look a lot better. I believe it does. So I believe enough in Trevor Lawrence as a prospect that I think I would lean towards this Jags point of view. Actually, I don't think it, I know it. I would take the Jag situation for a lot of reasons, even some of the assets that Victor mentions that are part of this quote unquote, great defense, which is not even really great. The Giants defense is pretty good, but the reality is it's not great. It doesn't shut down the great quarterbacks. It actually does its worst against the great quarterbacks. So in in all in all fairness, this Giants defense is is a, a slightly above average, if we're going to be completely honest, uh, yeah. just in, in the sense that it doesn't shut down good quarterbacks. So in addition to that, a lot of those assets aren't going to look like assets soon enough. In a year from now, probably everyone across the NFL, all 31 teams besides fans of the New York Giants, are going to look at the Leonard Williams contract and think it's a bad asset. They're going to think it's something they wouldn't want on their roster. Would they want to be allocating $26 million in cap space to Leonard Williams? I'm not so sure of that. And then they're going to look at the James Bradbury contract. Would they want to be allocating that much money to James Bradbury? I'm not so sure about that. And you could really go up and down the roster and probably find those players. Now, the flip side is Aziz Ojolari and Xavier McKinney. Those are assets that every everyone would want on their roster right now. Um, that's two players, the Jags, you know, that two players don't make up for the quarterback. And this goes down to for me, Nick, at least in my belief in Trevor Lawrence, I still believe in the player I evaluated at the collegiate level. I know it's looked horrible this year, and I've actually lost a little bit of faith in Lawrence just because he's been so, so bad. I know the situation sucks, but I don't care you know, I'm not a big believer in that stuff. Like when you're that bad, it's a little alarming because again, Joe Burrow had a horrific offensive line last year. And his offensive line, by the way, is bad again. I just saw they were ranked 30th in pass pro by like this, uh, you know, collection of of PFF, ESPN win play, uh, block win rate, like every possible grading scale for the offensive line play, which again, as we know, is pretty subjective, but still worth something. They're behind the Giants this year, the Bengals, and yet he's still generating explosive passing game week after week. And he did it as a rookie with an even worse offensive line. And then you look at, you know, all of those other quarterbacks who are making do without an line and they're doing it early in their career, like Justin Herbert and Burrow, and Lawrence isn't doing that. So that does scare me a little bit, Nick. So it's more of just a lean toward Jaguars for me.
1: Yeah, and again, like there's so much that goes into this. I, I could see me flip-flopping if I actually sat down and considered every single variable, but just having that quarterback, as you said, it's 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 very, very important. And it's not like Jacksonville has an absolute scrub defense. There are some building block players there with guys like miles Jack right. with Josh Allen, who's one of the better edge rushers, young edge rushers in the national football league. So I, I, uh, I mean, they also have busts like Tavon Brian, who the kid from Florida, they drafted in the first round a couple of years back, who hasn't really done anything. Uh, Caleb they don't Art- have an
2: Andrew Thomas on their line, which sucks.
1: No, they don't. Cam Robinson is, is uh, not nearly as consistent as Andrew Thomas, which I feel like is very, very important. That is one thing that we could take away from this year. So, like, before we end this podcast, Dan, if we want to think about everything glass half full, right? It's very difficult with the New York Giants, obviously. But going into the season, we watched that Patriot game in preseason, right? Andrew Thomas looked terrible, got beat by Josh Uche. We're like, oh, man, what if Andrew Thomas cannot build upon his, you know, roller coaster rookie season? Well, that is out of the question now. Andrew Thomas is a stud. He's proven that this season. Everything else around him sucks, but he's still kind of risen his level of play. So that's one thing that we can kind of take away going into next year that we don't have to worry about, and I think that's that's a positive, obviously.
2: Yeah, it's even more impressive to me that he's been this consistent this year, playing through, one, an injury that he had to fight through and come back from. We know he's not 100% coming off it, even if he says he is, which he's not. And, two, playing next to just this – Disgusting combination of left guard. The Giants have trot out there and Matt Scarab, Ben Bradson, whoever the hell they put out there, with also bad play at center. Like everything around him, bad. Around him is bad. He's on an island. And I've been extremely impressed with Andrew Thomas. Obviously, we were we were critical of him last year, which is totally fair. We were just literally analyzing his play in the first half of the season, and he's really made an amazing stride since then. He's one of my fate. He's their best asset. I mean, I said it before the year. I thought he was their best asset by far, and he's just proven right. He's their best asset given age importance of the position at left tackle and just overall production. He's currently the best asset in my mind, by far on the roster.
1: Yes. Yeah. I would have to say that as well. And I would love for it to be Daniel Jones, but the play does not substantiate that. Yeah. We'll see what happens with that.
2: I mean, again, he still has time to develop. All right, that's all we have for time for today. Thank you to everybody tuning into the Big Blue Banter Podcast Mailbag. Thank you to everybody staying with us through this gross, giant season. We know it's not fun. We know it's not enjoyable. We hate watching these games as much as you do. Let me make that clear. I do. I don't care if Nick admits it or not. I hate watching these games as much as anyone else does. I can't stand watching Mike Glennon on Sundays in this terrible offense. But you know what? It's almost over. And then we get to talk about free agency. And then we get to talk about the draft. Maybe we're even talking about a big-time trade for a big-time quarterback. Who knows? It's going to be an exciting offseason no matter what with a new general manager in, with two first-round picks in the top 10. I can't wait for it. So thanks to everybody tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great rest of your week.
0: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger.